pros. Lowe's wants to help you keep working. That's why we're open for pro business hours 6 to 7 a.m. Monday through Saturday. You'll find the quantities you expect with dedicated pro associates and loaders to help you get what you need fast and load you up curbside. Now, more than ever, we know you need to win every single bid. You can count on Lowe's for special values on pro-trusted brands and savings when you buy in bulk. Save yourself a trip by shopping Lowe'sforpros.com, where we can ship thousands of items to your doorstep or to the job site. Lowe's is open and pro-ready. Welcome to This Feels Terrible. I am your host, Erin McGathy. Today on the podcast, I have a conversation with British comedian, performer, clown, John Luke Roberts. Uh, he's been on the BBC, BBC Radio, and he's performed at Edinburgh several times. And I had the uh, the great pleasure, I'm trying to come up with a, with a better word than pleasure, because it was... I, I had I had the privilege of seeing his show Stadat Up at the Soho Theater in London a few weeks ago, uh, thanks to Paul Foxcroft, future guest of the show. He uh, Paul tried to not warn me, but but prepare. But Paul tried to prepare me for for the show, which is challenging and funny and sad and fantastic and. Uh, I, I had such a profound experience at the show that I really wanted to talk to John Luke Roberts afterwards about his experience writing the show and what it was like taking such a personal thing and putting it on stage uh, and and playing with the form of the solo show. Uh, the show is called Stadat Up. It's about his dead father. At a certain point, he puts in fake teeth and wears... Uh, his dad's old old suit and uh, plays his dad as an insult comic and it's really great and interesting and i'm just going to read a quote from uh time out edinburgh about the show stripping off his clothes and donning a balloon stuffed baggy suit that he claims belonged to his old man with whom he had shall we say a complicated relationship he adopts an aggressive brash persona that's not a million miles from andy kaufman's tony clifton so uh, there you are, and I, I really, I really wanted to talk to him about um, doing the show, especially because right now I've been thinking so much about taking my own personal uh, things and putting them on stage, and what makes for a good show, and all of those things. So, so we talk. Full disclosure: listening back to this interview, I kind of irritated myself a little bit. Uh, you guys are my friends and between you and me, there are a few times when I was listening and just, uh, cringed, um, but I left it in there so we could get a better interview, but it's not, a, it's not a typical interview. There's a lot of, uh, talking shop about theater and stuff and it probably, whatever it's, it's really, it's, it's interesting. I think it's interesting, but I annoy myself. Thankfully, I don't think I talk too much. And uh, not like this intro. Uh, so yeah, so that's enough. That's enough to be said about that. I'm really happy I got to sit down with John Luke Roberts and talk to him about the show, especially as I am prepping to do Edinburgh myself this summer with my show, Love You Loudly, 
at the Counting House Theater at 2 p.m. The Counting House Theater at the ballroom in the Counting House at 2 p.m. Okay. Uh, before we get to that conversation, we have a sponsor, everybody. And it's a very appropriate sponsor because it is a wine club. Club W. Go to clubw.com, fill out the quick six question quiz, and they will suggest wines that you will undoubtedly enjoy. I have done this. It works. The wines are great. They're beautiful. And, uh, and then the great thing about listening to this podcast is that when you're at checkout, you can type in the code, this feels terrible, and you will get $20 off of your first order and, uh, complimentary shipping after four bottles of wine. So please check that out. Also, I'd like to um, introduce a new a new voice uh, to the This Feels Terrible show. Uh, from time uh, from time to time, and I apologize. I like per, tip as as per usual. I'm recording this intro when I am uh, uh, tired, and you know whatever. I'm not going to make excuses, uh, but I apologize for tripping over my words. And <laughs> what I was going to say was from time to time, um, producer Dustin would kind of weigh in on the podcast. And this summer, I have someone all the way from Ireland who's going to be helping me with the uh, This Feels Terrible live show, which will be happening in July, and uh, is also just a super talented person and is helping me with a lot of other things. I, I would like to introduce to the show, Potty. Hey, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> and Potty, can you explain your name for the listeners who might who might be uh, confused by that name? Uh, sure, my name's Potty, which is short for Podrick, which is Irish for Patrick, <laughs> um, and which is uh, impronounceable in most countries, including my own. I see. <laughs> and you, you just got to Los Angeles uh, about a week ago. Also, full disclosure, Potty is my is the Irish boyfriend I've been referring to, though we're not really going to talk about our relationship on the show. But he's as 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 a voice on the show. So, but you're here as a human. Yeah. You are also a human, aside from <laughs> <laughs> aside from being my boyfriend. You do have a, your own, your own life and your own. Uh, I have human qualities. <laughs> you do. <laughs> uh, how are you finding Los Angeles? Uh, really good. Yeah, I kind of, I quite like it here. I, I'm glad that I, um, I'm glad that I seem to have brought the Irish weather with me because uh, it's been quite cloudy and mm-hmm. overcast, and I there was rain one day. Yeah, it was which exciting, was shocking. I'm sure to everybody that was here, um, but <laughs> but it was kind of nice because I was I was kind of dreading landing here and then just being hot and sweaty and red and yeah I was nervous for you as well I uh I was so excited that you were coming out and I also at the back of my mind was like oh god he's really going to <laughs> hate this weather yeah no I, I think it's good I mean it's it's helping me acclimatize mm. um and uh yeah I'm not going to complain about nice weather because everybody that listens from Ireland is now right yeah. burning the fucking <laughs> burning their phones or just being like all right that's it unsubscribe <laughs> fuck this guy uh what's your what's what's uh what's what's the best what's your favorite thing that you've done or seen in Los Angeles in the last few days so you've been here oh um we we visited the outside of Jim Henson 
uh, company studio. And so Kermit dressed as Charlie Chaplin. That was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a highlight. <laughs> um, and we went to the cinema today, which was, I think, the best cinema I've ever been in. That's right. That's the, the uh, Arclight Hollywood. Yeah. Everyone. Um Actually, I'm going to say it was hands down the best cinema I've ever. Oh been. wow! Yeah, it was right. incredible. It was great. I'm glad you um, liked it. Even though the movie was intense, very intense. We saw a Green Room. Very good though. But yeah, I guess I guess it's a good movie. I wasn't. I just wasn't. I wasn't prepared. Yeah, me me neither. Yeah. <laughs> but but I still thought it was very very good. We got brunch with previous guests Zach and Brandon from the Guy Friends episode. Yeah, that was cool. That was yeah. great. That was very good. Yeah, had my first uh, breakfast casserole. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Breaking new ground. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, um, we're going to go ahead and get into this interview. Uh, please enjoy this interview with John Luke Roberts. And we will announce... <laughs> I'm so terrible at doing these things. But last week on the podcast, I asked you for suggestions for uh names to call the listeners and uh, made it a contest and i got a ton of great suggestions and i will announce uh, the winner of that at the end of the show there you go perfect <laughs> all right thank you enjoy this enjoy this conversation with mr john luke roberts so oh wait so is that does it pick that up <laughs> yeah but that's nice you can do some foley on this podcast ah, foley yeah, yeah i love mm. foley Funny how the cabbage for a head being chopped off. Mm. Or um, or celery stalks. Oh, is that? Celery. Oh, that's for breaking a neck. Ah, that's nice. Yeah, that's rough. I was in a in a live slasher, improvised slasher movie. Oh yeah. And every night we had to twist the celery, and it was so. When I smell celery, I think about breaking necks. Ah, oh, that's fun. Yeah. Um, well, really quick. Okay, so you did, you did a show. You don't have to name names, but you did. You did a breakup show. I've well, done... I'm, I'm, I'm more curious about this on a personal level than I am okay, on a yeah. podcast level. Yeah. Yes. Right. Well, I did a breakup show a year and a half, or maybe two years ago. Written about nine months after a breakup. It was sort of. I don't know if there's the same thing in the US but here there's kind of a it's almost a cliche men specifically mm -hmm. in their late 20s doing the so I'm broken up I'm really sad yeah um, so it was I kind of did that show but had my cake and ate it at the same time by right. subverting the show or making fun of the mm -hmm. idea that I was doing it um, it was a very strange thing but actually I kept my I kept the personal details of the of my ex-partner out of that as much as possible right which is a strange because it was very revealing and honest show in a way and on the other side I just thought I'm not actually going to yeah. create her as a character much when you were writing the show were you more interested in the meta commentary on that show or on exploring that relationship I think I think by the because there was a sort of it was an eight-year relationship I mean it had gone on since I was 19 to be honest, it was slightly longer than eight years, but there was a sort of gap of a year early on mm. when I could have gone out and it didn't. <laughs> um, uh, and in loads of ways, it was very pleasant uh, and relaxed and we were very good friends, but it's a terrible relationship in mm. several other ways. Uh, and But the, there was a sort of nine-month gap between the breakup and the Edinburgh Festival. So by the time I came to actually do the show, I was sort of over it mm. in a way, or, or much... 
I, I'd m- managed to move on much quicker than I expected and I wonder whether it's because really we hadn't been in a real relationship for a couple of years at least so I, right, yeah. it, it was a strange experience and so it did become I suppose more about the the whole setup I'm just right I haven't done it for such a long time the setup of the show was me pretending it wasn't a breakup show right. so constantly trying to do something so the audience <laughs> wouldn't but then ending up meandering back to talking about the, until at the end I had to there was a there's a big set piece at the end when I reenacted a scene when my on our anniversary we'd exchange gifts and she'd given me a fruit basket and I'd given her a mixtape and I said and she said to me we eat the fruit and I said no listen to the mixtape and we agreed that for each <laughs> for each song she listened to each track she'd listened to I'd eat a piece of fruit mm-hmm. and then I get an audience member up who's sort of acting as her and they press play on this imaginary cassette tape and the, the first song plays and it's um, the it's it's Hurt the um, Johnny Cash yeah the Johnny Cash version <laughs> which and is then, one of the saddest songs yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. so I, I note that, that so that's the that's on the mixtape I've given her I reach into the fruit basket and take out a lemon mm. and then I have to eat that lemon while this is playing <laughs> and then I say when I finish the lemon I, I say play the next track and then it's the Nine Inch Nails version of Hurt and I reach in there's another lemon and then there's about eight different covers of Hurt just one after the other while I keep having to eat lemons <laughs> and it was genuinely a, a, quite a um, difficult because I was eating lemons it's yeah, not, of course, yeah. and it was very I think for the audience that they, they, they really wanted me to do it and they really wanted me to stop doing it and the yeah. smell of lemons was so strong in the and then through in the middle of that routine or at the end of that routine I suddenly go fine it's a breakup show <laughs> and, I, and that's kind of the big that's the dramatic crux of the show which irritatingly when the guy I got to record it his battery ran out and I had to change oh, it and yeah. it was that bit it was the whole of kind of hinge of the thing and then they, I end up by taking out a whole pineapple and eating that without taking the skin off so <laughs> that was kind of a brutal show physically I, I, had, I had to cover my face in flour at the beginning of it as well and there was lots of oh that sounds so my so eye and I was wearing rough. contact lenses my eyes were so kind of gummy and infected by the end of the month it was and I lost all sense of shame as well because the like, I was covering myself in water in a like, yeah. white t-shirt and I, I, I realised that a week in I was standing at the traffic lights just waiting across the road and I suddenly realised I'd hoiked up my t-shirt and was picking fluff out of my belly button just in the <laughs> middle of the street and I thought well this show has ruined me oh your, your body became one with the atmosphere yeah <laughs> just like the weather um yeah that was a that was a tough month I then later for there's a comedian called Mark Watson who's a brilliant comedian and he mm. does these he became known a few years ago for doing 24-hour shows and ultimately I think a 36-hour show is the longest one he did where he mm. would be on stage for pretty much the whole thing yeah and there were great experiences because the the show doing the show became the point of doing the show so the right, audience right. would just everyone was so invested in this show happening and any guests coming on just keeping it going yeah yeah it was great fun and he did one for comic relief and the second one he did for comic relief I got sponsored well, actually, the first one he did for Comic Relief, which was before the breakup, um, my then girlfriend and I had did a sponsored trial separation for the duration <laughs> of the show. That's telling. Yeah, it was telling, which I think may indirectly or directly have led to the the breakup. Uh, but then this one, two years later, I got sponsored to eat lemons during mm. the show. But I, it's so in retrospect, it was so stupid. I got sponsored. It was a twenty-seven hour show, and I was sponsored to eat a lemon for every ten minutes of the show. And of course, I only got about 15 lemons in before I, my teeth were just uh, screaming and yeah. my stomach was, was not keeping anything in 
uh, at all. And I really, and I had to give up. I was so sad and I felt so stupid because you couldn't meet that many Satsumas <laughs> and they're not yeah. even, that just caught vulnerability of. Yeah. So that was. Um, I that mean, was, the, the obvious question is like, did that acidity give you an ulcer while you were in Edinburgh? No, because I, well, in Edinburgh, I think it was. I think what I, what I realized was in Edinburgh, because I've been doing six lemons a day, I'd actually not, I'd been, I thought, well, I did that over an hour every day, so that should be fine. I didn't, well, mm. But I didn't realize that that was actually my natural, my body's natural limit. I just never tested right. above it. So I did that. <laughs> oh, and I could do that fine. Yeah. But then any more lemons are a problem. Oh, wow. Um, how did you, how did you feel about like what was your relationship your your personal relationship with the breakup and everything how did how did how you felt about it change from the beginning of doing the run of that show to the end so, so it's, or I guess, did it or did, did it feel totally it about separate 21 or, and was it therapeutic or was it not that show was a, it was a little strange because even when I started doing it in Edinburgh as I said I wasn't I'd kind of already grieved the relationship and I'd already and I'd been in such a rush to Mm-hmm. to move on I was in a new relationship so I um, yeah I was doing this show kind of with a little lie in it because I was mm. having to pretend I was in a like five months before where I actually was in mm-hmm. terms of my mental state um, but you always lie on stage I mean you have to lie on stage otherwise you can't can't make the show there was the, so there was the germ there, there was a, there was emotional truth in it but it was kind of remembering an emotional truth yeah and I think actually the reason I had to put myself through the physical stuff was so that I was put into a vulnerable state mm. again so yeah. that you, you wouldn't just be a, a man's that because there's always especially with male comedians in fact I think there's a word for it there's that thing of as soon as the you know the so I'm single which is basically just to try and pick up women from the audience <laughs> so they know that the guy you know they're called pussy lines I think they call them ah. uh, and it's become a bit of a cliche and I realised the whole show was that uh, but you, if you do it's just awful you don't want that yeah. you don't want the kind of guy pretending to be vulnerable you need to actually be vulnerable in some way yeah, you need yeah. to be damaged. I call them dick targets yeah. 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 Not really. I don't really. No, so but if it's I better, to do that, it's more. It doesn't work the same way for women. Um, no. Somehow, uh, talking about how heartbroken and needy you are and how much you need someone to comfort you uh, yeah, yeah. doesn't uh, no, uh, bring the dicks a running. No. Uh, that's uh, what, what a gro- gross turn of phrase. No, it's horrible. I mean, it's a horrible idea. It's a horrible. But the other thing is, doing that show, <laughs> I, re- I did because I was putting myself through, because I, I started off by covering my face in flour and then telling the worst joke for far too long and <laughs> eating all these lemons and seeming I think genuinely unhinged nobody ever hit on me after seeing that show it was like it was really? kind of the opposite of that <laughs> kind of the opposite of that line I I don't I don't know what it is about me I'm sorry I just hit my mic awkwardly um I don't know what it is about me or women that are interested in this I don't know if it's because like I'm I'm just attracted to vulnerability in general but I I have definitely like in, been fallen victim to those pussy lines, lines. like if, immediately I'm like yeah. oh god I'll I'll be the one I'll, be <laughs> I'll the save one. you <laughs> I I see I see him I see why yeah. he is so uh special and uh, I'll I'll do it um yeah. and I also just like making myself vulnerable on stage so maybe I'm just attracted to that in that way um with the yin to your yang yeah can you 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 said that it's necessary to to uh lie a little bit when talking about these things like this show that's this based on an actual emotional experience Mm -hmm. you had can you elaborate on that i think uh well any performance is 
it's the fun to watch someone lie any mm-hmm. performance there's there's that element of craft there's that you, you can't just go on and speak openly to people as you would in a normal conversation there's there's fun to be had in in really really naked honesty mm-hmm. but you can't just do naked honesty right, you need yeah. some craft as well yeah yeah and then the, you find the weapon of just dropping a line which is completely true and something beyond what most people would say mm-hmm. would reveal about themselves you can get a huge kind of release of tension ha- that way in your in your show that I saw, uh, stood at up, stand up, stand up, stood at up, stood at up. The other one was called stand up, and then, <laughs> really, yeah, which was originally it was just like it was just a play on the. Um, I was just switching the letters around to sort yeah. of show that it was not normal stand up. It's a bit wrong, right, um, right? But then I realized midway through that there was a pun in it because my my ex's yeah, name what, yeah. was, was Nadia. So <laughs> so then when it came to doing the show about my dad dying mm-hmm. uh, I th- I was joking for a while about calling it Stadad up mm-hmm. and then realized oh yeah that's the name <laughs> that's- <laughs> of course yeah. yeah well you you had a brilliant device uh, using a, a, a bell oh the bell of truth yeah the bell of truth how did you arrive at I that? used that in the, the previous show actually okay. I, I hit a so I'm crap. a little less impressed I guess well no yeah well, actually <laughs> and so were some reviewers um, oh really yeah, there was no, sorry. There was That's one really. Sorry. There was one of the most irritating four-star reviews I've ever received, which was <laughs> just so grudging. Yeah. I kept saying, well, he's using these things that he used in the years before. Yeah, they're my forms. I yeah, found those yeah. things. I'm allowed to develop them. <laughs> Sod off. Write your own show. That is very. You know, he doesn't. You don't complain about a, a one-liner comic. I enjoy this yeah. device. Do oh. something even. Oh, this uh, one-liner comic. He just went up to the microphone and oh, he just said line after line for an hour. Why can't he change up what he's doing? <laughs> Why can't he magnify his voice? using something else yeah why not a cone it's 2016 guys <laughs> I nearly said 2013 so wow <laughs> yeah I know oh, interesting. I maybe that's the year I always think I'm in mm. the bell of truth <laughs> I was, so it's a device where I just I have this bell which when I hit it it means that the thing I've just said is true mm-hmm. it's just really it you know actually I think there was a line in the breakup show uh, the first time I did that show, sort of a full hour, and it was very, very sketchy and still a work in progress and all over the place, my ex came to see it. It was at this little comedy festival in Wales. I couldn't mm. really believe that she'd... Yeah. I, but it, it didn't enter into my mind that that would be a disruptive thing to do, I think. I don't, there was no kind of malice in it, but I thought, yeah. are you really? Yeah. You want to yeah. see this now? Um, so she was sat there, and, I, and there was this line in it. What was it? I said... Um, my, it, was never, it was in November. My girlfriend said to me, I think I need to spend some time alone. And I said, why are you ruining the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who month for me? <laughs> and, and then, which was, which was true, actually, which was true. And, and that's then, at the beginning of a very pleasant, independent film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God, it does sound mumblecore, doesn't it? Um, and she, uh, she said, she shout, she heckled at that point with, it's true. And it got a double laugh. Mm. And I'm not sure if I'd had the bell up to that point. I think maybe not. But mm. it was just this realisation. You get the laugh for the idea, but then saying, that's true, you get a bigger release of tension. It's kind of yeah. a topper, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I think, Sorry. but I think I might, I might put it to bed now. I, I've kind of... The bell? I think I've explored as much as you can do with it, <laughs> I think. It definitely uh, made the audience feel really safe. I think. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. Well, when when you first introduced it in the show, I my my first reaction was, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I you, 
Okay. Well, I'll, I will gush all over how wonderful I thought your show was and but how much I cried. Oh, no, no, I loved <laughs> it. I loved it. But when you first, it was brilliant because when you first introduced it, I didn't, even though it seems like such a simple concept, I mm. didn't fully understand how you were going to explore it. Yeah. And so when you first introduced it, I, I was taken out of the show just for a split second because I thought, well, shouldn't, shouldn't it all be true? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then I realized like how, safe it makes made the show feel and i also didn't know in a show where that's where there's seemingly no form where mm-hmm. you there are all these balloons on the stage i'll have to when i'm introducing this interview i'll have to like give like a yeah, short yeah. description of your show but there are all these balloons on the stage and um you are you're like nude at the top of the show with like a pixelated mask on your yeah, a t- yeah. pixelated penis mask yeah that, um, why not why not call it that yeah uh and yeah the because be, yeah we didn't know how the show was going to go and so it was good because it was different i thought i understood what the show was going to be entirely after you named the bell but it wasn't yeah yeah but you have to i mean another thing it's so i say at the bell when i say something true i'll hit the bell and that's not quite true because I say a lot of true things, but only occasionally do I hit the bell. And I just it's just that yeah, yeah. It's when you know they need to know that this is yeah. It's it's things that that could be perceived as as jokes or, yeah, exaggerations, or exaggerations, but it's yeah, like yeah, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but actually, that's the whole the whole. Sh- it's kind of clowny technique. I think you there's lots of little games, lots of little devices. Mm-hmm. Bell of Truth, there are other things. Um, there's a, I I talk about the show I could have done. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, which is the, the show, the um, uh, hearing a being on a train, somebody listening to music so loudly through the headphones yes, okay, which is- <laughs> that I could, I could, I could shazam it and, yeah. and find out what it was. Um, <laughs> and then I talk about how that show would be awful because all I could do is save the reveal of what the song is till the end of the show, and then right. constantly lead the audience down blind alleys of what the song might be. Mm. And then I just leave that and move on. And then, of course, through the show. No, that I can just go back to saying Too Shy by Kajagoogoo. Was that the song <laughs> on the track? So I end up doing that show as yeah. well. So there's all these little things. It's, it's like, I think, spinning plates that you, you kind of you keep the audience entertained by mm-hmm. just knowing you can do just enough of one thing and jump back to the other thing that you've yeah. got there and ring the bell or play the... So there, there's all these games that can save you, a series of, I suppose, safety Absolutely. nets. Absolutely. Well, and all, all, the, all, the, all the patterns and all the games and even just starting the show in silence with... Uh, a, a song and yeah. like kind of an absurd game with your body and different parts of your body that are singing this song. Mm. All of that made all the chaos again safe and uh, enjoyable. Like we weren't worried for you at any point. I don't yeah. think. Maybe there are a couple. There only when you wanted us to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I thought that was. Is that yeah? I love watching. I I could never do it for years, and I think maybe I've found a way now. Those comics you watch, and you don't know whether they know or not. Mm. You don't know whether they're genuinely a a little off, yeah, or whether they realise what's funny about them. Mm -hmm. And it, I think that's it. You want it teetering on the edge because you need to feel safe for the show to go on, but you need to feel just this little edge of is this okay? No, it's fine, isn't it? Is this okay? Yeah, you need to have the weirdness, but you need to be able to sell it. Yes, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's actually it's not it's not right to say that the audience felt totally safe there, but you 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 maintained perfect tension. I mean, tightrope walking is not the right analogy, but. it was yeah if it works when it works it's the you, they're just you, you haven't just done that 
just there. Yeah. Sort of slightly worried. Somebody was very scared by the show. Really? And told me. And I, by what parts? I think once I'm in character. But I realized I never, there was people who like, oh yeah, it's really, it's a really uh, racing show. I think weirdly, it's less scary in the space I'm doing it in now mm-hmm. than it was in the, the, I was in a cabaret bar in Edinburgh. There's something about the tightness of that room. Yeah, yeah. And also I was raised on a stage where I'm sort of below the audience. And I, mm. I don't know if they, even that, just that power game meant people were a little bit. Yeah. But I realized that I, I couldn't, I couldn't understand why they find it scary. And then realized, well, it's because I know everything that's going to happen. They don't yeah. know what the next step is. And so there is always that slight fear of how far I'll mm. take things. Yeah, I. <laughs> I mean, even the balloons alone, just being afraid that all the balloons are going to pop. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, there's people who have phobias of balloons. Yes. And yes. I, um, yes. I think I ruined the show for a few people because of the number of <laughs> balloons around. It was it was a big relief when the first balloon popped because it wasn't as bad as maybe I thought it was going to be. Oh yeah. Well, when people were blowing them up before the show, oh yeah, kept I came popping right yesterday. before. Oh, okay, they you were there maybe yeah. a couple of days ago, but yesterday they kept. I was, I was sort of in my cocoon that I begin the show in, and just kept hearing these bangs. I, I don't know whether it's the quality of balloons I bought or whether they were just very bad <laughs> at blowing up balloons. Uh, when I when you started putting the balloons into your giant trousers, I became angry at the audience members that over blew the balloons <laughs> and, and I was looking at all the balloons and, and trying to pin like what kind of person blows up a balloon just slightly like the person that is kind of worried for the person on stage and wants that person to feel okay and safe right, and then another person that's like I just want things to get fucked up like, I just yeah. want this to pop like I want to be part of the chaos of the show by overblowing a balloon um, I d- I, maybe you're overthinking it I don't think so. Because like when I, when I, no, I, I blow up balloons sometimes when I do, if I do like a 20 as my dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's God. the show, everyone. I blow up the balloons myself and just stick them in. And I, I generally will over inflate. Mm. Well, maybe maybe, maybe you're a little self-destructive. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Uh, I mean, you're, so, you're certainly a little yeah. masochistic, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah. so the show... About your dad, I don't. I don't really know. I'm very curious about how you came to write the show. My emotional experience with the show really surprised me in a very big mm-hmm. way because I joke about my mom's death a lot, mm-hmm. uh, and I and I always I, I always feel very. Um, nervous about criticizing mm-hmm. my dead mother even though I have like all these like like you do obviously all these all these issues yeah 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 how did you decide to talk about your dad's death by playing him do it as an insult comic so um yeah they're two separate things I suppose the insults I've been doing insults as myself I've got I've written sort of 400. 400? No it's, no, it's probably about 200 now. Uh, I haven't counted for ages, it might be. Uh, I've been right, I, I came years ago and in, in my early 20s hit upon this framework of writing one liners as insults and so would be able to fire them at the audience and mm. um, just find it very easy to write jokes in that mould. And um, never, it was always a bit sticky doing it as myself. There's certainly in my early 20s, there was something about a kind of. Obviously, well-off, upper-middle-class 
white man who was young <laughs> inside it would really get men's backs up like uh, would you, and they were uh, couched in so much sort of I have these cards I have these insults they're all written in order on these cards so you know that it's nothing personal but I've just got to do this to lower your self-confidence to make you a bit more giggly and a bit more mm. nervous so you'll laugh at the show all this stuff um, but still get people's backs up so then with this show um, I think it was I knew I had to do a show about my dad I didn't know what it was going to be. And then the idea just came to me of dressing up as him and performing a show as my dad. And I thought, I, I found that very a very funny idea, a very exciting idea and a quite mm. freeing one. I then did a sort of, in January or February last year, I did a week-long scratch of the show. And it was awful. Um, but I found a lot, I found a lot, like it was, I, I had, I was writing on stage. I had a, a handful of ideas and I, I, I sort of took on the body of my father, which was very big. And so that's why I have a suit filled with balloons and, a, and um, a, his beard sort of stuck on my face with glasses. But I uh, didn't, I didn't really do, I didn't transform into him. It was still just me dressed as my dad. Mm. Uh, then I went off. I went off to to, to, to clown school actually for ten weeks, um, doing various other bits and pieces. Not not really thinking about the show that much. Came back with a month to go before doing the show, and then remembered because my dad was born in Liverpool, had a Liverpool accent, and then got rid of it. And I realised that if I jumped into his character by putting on this voice, then I suddenly had so much more freedom. And mm-hmm. found that playing my dad, playing this kind of monster image of my dad, was so much fun and so freeing and I don't think I ever feel quite as free on stage as I do when I'm doing him because there's so much liberty to do things you can shout at audience you can do all this you can I can go off and I can trust myself to kind of take the leap mm. and improvise for five minutes about some some even just an audience member's name or something mm. knowing that in that character he'll sort it out and if he doesn't sort it out it's fine because he's he's a doctor and it doesn't really matter that he's not doing the comedy stuff right but yeah nine times out of ten when you just back yourself and jump into it then you find you you get the laughs um so sweet sweet laugh so then and then i realized well, i had these insults and actually they made far much more sense coming from this huge <laughs> Uh, angry, um, unpredictable character who one moment will be quite loving and then just suddenly take you up for something you did five years ago for no no reason. That the insults worked so much better in his voice than they ever did in mine and the audience was so much happier. And they were, I mean, they did work in my set, but there was always this little, but as him, it just made so much more sense. And it was like they'd Mm. been hanging around for years until my father died, just going, hey, when he goes, we (laughs) (laughs) uh, dress up as him and do us. And so then, yeah, that worked. Because it kind of lightens lightens the insults almost. Everyone knows Mm. that I'm playing, I'm doing an impression of someone who was like this. Right. So they know that the performer is plus your own feelings to... about your dad that we don't fully understand. Exactly. Yeah. So they know that this is mocking him as much as it's mocking the audience. Mm. And so it's a, it's all sort of game upon game. Um, but yeah, it's it's having fun to pretend to be him and make fun of him. But also, it's just it's fun to be him. It's quite freeing. Yeah. And actually, genuinely, it, it does make me like him a bit more. Which is strange. I think I have found some mm. peace with him yeah, <laughs> through, that. through doing that sort of stuff on stage. Yeah. Funny. That is, doesn't bear thinking about too much. I, actually, the truth of this show, which I did for the whole Edinburgh run, I genuinely, I didn't put myself, I don't put myself through as much physically as the previous show. Although 
that said the opening show by doing the striptease till I'm only wearing like, this pixelated thing over my penis um, <laughs> like which, that you just described it as a striptease well it is a striptease <laughs> what else is it I'm, I'm, there's music on stage and I'm taking my clothes off <laughs> I guess <laughs> um <laughs> And, uh, uh, and yeah. it's called a C cup, incidentally, the, the thing which is keeping the... Um, oh, really? Okay. C cup? No, C string. Hmm. C string, yeah. Because it's like a G string, but it hasn't got the bit that goes round. Yeah. It just sort of clamps the perineum. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, by exposing... The, the beginning of the show is like jumping out of a plane, really. I, I put myself hmm. into such a an exposing, vulnerable sort of... Yeah, uncomfortable position. Do you do that so it's okay to speak so openly about your... Yeah, I do it. Yeah, I think it does two things. One, for me, it just means I've kind of got to... Because if I think about the show, then it's kind of a... I have to just run at it. Right, If you stop to... If I stop to think at one moment in the show about what I'm doing... Yeah. Which I actually pretend... Well, sort of half pretend and half do a couple of times. There's moments in the show where I need to let that happen. But generally, if I do that, then... Uh, it's uh, kind of freezes you, so you have to do something which is just going to make you the adrenaline go and run for the rest of the thing. But yeah. also, as an audience, I think once they can see that, and once the audience has seen me put myself through this, they're more willing for me to spend forty minutes mocking a dead man, right. which is quite a big ask. Yeah, yeah, really. Um, so, uh, sorry, where was I? But uh, yeah, emotionally, the show is was is still tough like it, it i am actually putting myself through the things emotionally and there's nothing i really can do about that to to change it in the last mm. show i was kind of remembering it putting on but a, a genuine grieving process for a father and also a father who was so he was in the background of everything he was this huge figure in my life when he was there like literally and figuratively mm. he was very imposing and everything i did was with this kind of knowledge of him somewhere in the background so to have that go, the green process takes, I mean, maybe forever, certainly years, and there's mm. no way of shortcutting it. And so going through it each evening, you kind of end up going through it each evening. Yeah. But you, it's also cathartic. I mean, it's a bit of a relief. To yeah. Do it. Well, it's, uh, um, you, you, bring, you bring your dad to life and then have him die for the audience, almost literally, because the balloons that you've stuffed into no, your yeah, suit of... are deflating yeah, and changing, yeah. and the parts yeah. of the show where you are just trying to keep the suit together and yeah. keep him alive yeah. towards the end are very impactful. And then, the show, and then the show ends with um, by flipping it over. Mm. So the show has to end with him attacking me mm-hmm. and attacking me honestly like i have it has to be sort of genuine he takes apart the idea of the show and he voices i think all of the little doubts the audience might have about what's going on and the show very much ends with me i think not far off losing the argument but by losing the argument the show then suddenly becomes something else and it does sort of turn into a tribute Mm -hmm. as much as it's been a you know a, a kind of burlesque of him or whatever mm. <laughs> can you tell me about the first time that your mom saw the show yes um, <laughs> it was a bit so I, I it was such a I, I so last last year I came back from clown school at the end of June I had a month to get this show ready before Edinburgh also in that period of time there was a, a sitcom that I'd co-written which was being filmed just like the the 
the two weeks coming up to Edinburgh and then the first week of Edinburgh. And so I was juggling doing these two things. I was trying to do this, I was, and I was in the second episode of the sitcom. So I was doing that, filming that, being around as one of the writers to make sure they didn't screw things over. Mm. And then um, got on a night bus. Um, the day, so I finished filming that night, Friday night, I got on a night bus overnight with a kind of canvas hammock <laughs> up to Edinburgh from London. <laughs> Got in at 7am, got up, and then did my first show that evening of the... I mean, I previewed it, but this was the first proper version of the show. It was really poor. And I kept on sort of flopping during the show and apologising for it, which was the worst kind of rookie air. I don't know what stage I was in. <laughs> then the Sunday, I, I was feeling, oh, God, I might, maybe I've signed myself up to a month of just... Of, you know, the, the, the dread of the one show that doesn't work. You always think, right. well, it's always worked before, and then there's always that... Hang on. Yeah. Um, Show's only as good as the last performance. Yeah, yeah. And then the Sunday worked. And it was, and several little things dropped into place. And I suddenly saw, oh, there's this structure as well. And it, it was lovely. Then the Monday, my mum came. And I, because Edinburgh was. And what is your mum like? She's, um, she's not very sentimental. She's very loving. She, I mean, she's, she's a wonderful, wonderful, generous, um, protective woman. Very clever. She's a, she's a GP. A doctor, family doctor, mm. and um, she also she just works so incredibly. Like she would by the end with my father. Actually, she was doing a full time job. She's in her early sixties. She was doing a um, she was doing her job full time and then caring for my dad six hours at the end of the day because he was disabled. He couldn't move. So she and her life had been completely dominated by this man for forty years, uh, and that was sort of part of that. There was this feeling of she couldn't really for the rest of the family this feeling that she couldn't have any freedom while he was still around because she wouldn't leave him, she wouldn't do all that. So, um, well, I'm not sure to what extent I should be... No, it's, no, it's fine. I think I talk about as much in the show. Uh, but she came to see the show on the Monday night, which meant I was glad I had one kind of proper run of it working because it, mm -hmm. it then... You do that one off adrenaline, then once she was in, just it tightened up quite a lot. Like, I couldn't... She was in my eyeline as well. I mean, because right. everyone in that room was in my eyeline and performing that show with her. It was okay. It was not bad. But it was just this bit. I need quite a lot of freedom to improvise and to play around with stuff. And, and that all shriveled a bit because as soon as you go off the script, you're suddenly remembering what's in this room. Oh, my mum's over there. She's watching me do this thing. <laughs> was she towards the front? Was she in the line? She was sort of towards the front. I, I, told her, <laughs> I, 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 I think it might, might not have been a very big audience that day, but she was... Um, yeah, she was sort of down, she was to my right, maybe four rows back. And, uh, yeah, but I finished the show, and then I, <laughs> after showing the show, I said something about, uh, oh, I'm sorry, my mum's in tonight, and I uh, just want to say, I'm sorry about this, mum, and I love you. And that's what made her irritated, actually. She, <laughs> she liked the show, she said, well, you shouldn't have said that. Um, <laughs> uh, when everyone was looking at me, I'm the, only, I'm the only old woman in the room, and you would, no, no. <laughs> When I die, you are not to do a show about me. Uh, but yeah, I went for we went for an Italian meal afterwards, and she was she sort of gave it her blessing. Uh, I think largely because of the ending, and because of the I was very, I'm very careful the amount of things I actually reveal about my father because I need mm. to make him I need to be critical enough of him for the audience to be willing for me to to do this stuff, but I can't say anything 
too damning or they'll be too uncomfortable for a comedy show to mm-hmm. be done about him mm-hmm. so they're, they're drawing that line not kind of revealing too much and also only really revealing my own traumas I suppose not revealing my family's ones so much it's just the ones that I'm that are directly to me because it's not I don't really think it's my right to reveal anything else yeah. uh so she was sort of happy with that and a bit relieved, I think. But then after I'd done it in Edinburgh 30, in fact, just just a month or two ago, she said to me, um, oh, um, there's one, don't say his full name in the show. <laughs> and I'd been saying his, like, she'd seen yeah. me, that I did that, I introduced him as his full name. So, and of course I, yeah, I, I've, I now don't. Right. But... Um, <laughs> That's interesting. Well, I, Do you think just, she was just trying to take some some control over the situation? I and? think she got a bit worried. There was a memorial lecture for him. Mm. Uh, because he was a quite a well-respected doctor. Uh, I mean, very respected in his job, very good at his job, very loved in his job as well. Mm. Um, and I think it just, this thing started hovering around in her head of, oh, I don't want to... But I I mean, I, I put the show by her. I'd, before I started doing the show, I said, would you be okay with this? Yeah. Because you do realise, I sort of was aware that I'm in revealing my own version of him, necessarily damaging other people's version of him mm. and changing the the, straw, the way they think of him if they were to see the show, perhaps. Right. Or maybe they just wouldn't believe me. But I think it's my right to do it. But it was still a question of, well, sh- should I? Is there anything to gain? Mm. But I think, ultim- I don't think it's unsympathetic, weirdly, in the end. I don't think it's unsympathetic towards him. No, I don't think so. It starts that way. Mm. Somebody, two people yesterday came up to it. Two separate people said to me when they're talking about the show, it's very tasteful. And I, <laughs> I, I never use that word talking about the show. Yeah. But uh, yeah, oh. I, don't, I, I, was a bit, I was a bit insulted, actually. I thought. I think that full sentence is, I'm surprised at how tasteful it was. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe that's it. Yeah. Maybe that was it. That's interesting. Um, no, I, I think it's I think it's more of a comment on a son's relationship with his father. And yeah. I think it's it's irrelevant how close to the in actuality that character of your father yeah, yeah. Was I think to, I think what it what I'm actually playing is a kind of my vision of him as a five year old he's a sort mm. of this the nightmare of, of that person yeah. he's, he's large in life he's in, sort of impossibly monstrous mm-hmm. yeah that was it was it was very it was very rolled doll yeah everything. oh yeah it's quite yeah. the twits isn't it really? it is yeah yeah uh, I loved it. I also loved it. I was there on Tuesday night, and I actually, this will delight you, got in an argument with um, Beck Hill about whether or not my audience volunteer was superior to her audience volunteer. Because <laughs> <laughs> she had said, ah, I mean, it seemed like he was he was cast on the show. He was amazing. And I said, well, so did I. <laughs> was so perfect and moving, and it sometimes was a, uh, seemed like a proxy for for uh, John Luke's brother and sometimes it seemed like he was the father and the son and it, so it was very yeah um, can I so settle that was, argument yes um, Bex oh, was better oh <laughs> it was a bit well in what way just because he was okay. she told me about the bell moment and everything uh, yeah he was he, yeah he they, the guy rang the bell after I said something while yeah. he was sat on, no he was behind me the bit where he got, I get him to massage me he hit the bell and it was just very very well timed um but he was also, you want, or I want, for my audience participation, I always need them. It has to be a man because mm. the things I do, an audience wouldn't let me, I think would be creepy with a woman. 
mm-hmm. in a way that they're not quite. So in the show before, the around. sticking the balloons in anything, like sitting yeah. on the lap, there's just, right, think, right, you know, yeah. and the, actually the show the year before the breakup show, I used an, an audience member as a proxy for uh, a lover. Mm-hmm. And so that everything was quasi-sexual with them. Right. And, and did you choose a female or a male? No, I'd always did a really? male. Because, oh, again, it was the same okay. thing. that the, the little things I... I never... Ta- Obviously, there's a point at which you don't take it past. Mm-hmm. But these little... As far as I was concerned, those... It was a safer bet, really. It was a safer bet to right. use a man and get the laughs because you, you, you're verging towards harassment, I think. Or I mean, there's no, there's no real difference. For, <laughs> um, but I, I think the way that they view it and the audience view it is yeah. different. I, I've done shows before where I use audience proxies and, yeah. and like I, I usually have men on stage, but I do have to get over that please don't be worried for me. Like, I'm in control. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm a woman on stage with these men, but it's going to be okay. Also, what I'd say is, oddly, uh, there's kind of... Uh, with picking a woman, there's more of a chance, in Edinburgh certainly, mm. that they're in a play and that they'll oh, play too much. Right. They'll perform too much. <laughs> and it, I, it, it's maybe... Well, that's that's the experience I guess I've had so far. There's just those, but with men too, there is that. I think maybe I'm just better at spotting the men. You I think want maybe someone, it's easier to read which which men I are not involved in a play, whereas whereas women are meant to dress yeah. up and be kind of in drag. Yeah, perhaps that all the time in real life. It's harder to see who's a performer. Who's not. You just um, so I want a man who's slightly geeky, preferably mm-hmm. slightly slightly low status. Isn't like you don't want to never go for someone in an iron shirt. In an iron shirt? Yeah. Never Are there actual someone. knights walking around? What do you mean, an iron shirt? An ironed. Oh, an ironed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are. So many questions. I know I don't know that much about British culture, but people are walking around <laughs> in chain like, And also, why would you not choose that person? Like, even if it meant the show would. No, take, I know. I like, probably, I probably would go for the person. The I, for a second there, I thought that you were so dazzled by the sort of romance of a man who had bothered to iron his shirt. Hi everyone. I just wanted to interrupt this conversation with John Luke Roberts to uh, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you especially for leaving iTunes reviews. Those are so helpful to the podcast and really ups our listenership, which is a, uh, a great thing, especially because we are going to be hitting the road in July, going across the country, uh, doing this show live with special guests and, and stories and different, different things. That's going to be super fun. Um, and uh, meaningful and the best show of all time. So tell your friends about the podcast, review the podcast. I'm going to uh, thank a few people who've uh, reviewed the show lately. Thank you. Funny and edutaining. Thank you. Gurgurgurgurgy. Thank you. Robbie was here. And thank you, Fat Ralia. <laughs> These are, these are great names. Solid names, everybody. Also, you can send me a real-life letter. Send your mail to Aaron McGathy, 2658 Griffith Park Boulevard, number 840, Los Angeles, California, 90039. All right, let's get back to the show. All right, so what, what made you go to clown school? Uh, I Two years ago, two, three years ago, um... I just after I remember I did a workshop. I just thought, oh, I may as well try that with um, Dr. Brown, Phil Burgers, who who won the Edinburgh Comedy Award here a few years ago, and and he's he's very funny, 
sort of quasi clown mm. and he did this clowning workshop and it was like a light bulb being turned on in my head doing it it was this and basically that his method which is broadly the heart of clown you do you go on stage you try something you see if the audience like it if the audience like it you do it more right <laughs> which is so simple and if they don't like it you um you sort of share in that fact they don't like it mm. you acknowledge it you don't lie about it you don't verbally acknowledge it but you're with them in the flop at the right. moment of it not working and then you either insist on the thing mm -hmm. do it again in, and go no 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 this is funny <laughs> until they find it funny mm -hmm. and then you can have them for minutes minutes or you try something else mm. and it's that those that little mixture which is very basic version of it. And, and then I, I did another couple of little workshops and I the people I did one with him, Phil, and then I did a, a Buffon workshop, which is sort of nasty clown with, um, with <laughs> red, fun. yeah, with red bastard for a few days. And I re I, I'd realized that the, everyone I was interested in doing workshops with all these people had been trained by Philippe Gollier. And so it made mm. sense to go to the source to do it right. because it really, it changed everything about how I was doing comedy. I, I, I was very kind of digging my heels in very, this weird stuff I'm doing, this very verbal, very, uh, uh, I, I'd kind of it was kind of you either like it or you don't and I was quite right. an aloof performer and quite kind mm -hmm. of removing the audience and again as a young man it's not enjoyable to watch that it's sort of mm -hmm. a bit irritating and it gets up people's noses uh, a little <laughs> so then realising that if you just play this game for 15-20 minutes at the beginning of a show of giving the audience letting sh showing them that you're doing this for them then they'll go along with anything you want them to do yeah and you don't have to fight and you can get people laughing at the weirdest stuff the least mainstream stuff that you'd never expect them to mm -hmm. just by coaxing them in in this kind of clowny method so that's the that's the very nub of, of why i want to do it and then i went off to clown school and it, it's actually theater school taught by a clown so there's lots of modules other than clown. Right. So, um, <laughs> do you, do you feel self-conscious saying clown school? No, not at all anymore. Maybe mm. I did a while ago. In fact, I quite like saying clown. It's nice. Yeah. Oh, I'm at clown school. Oh, you're what? <laughs> I know. It's very. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I've done, I've done a year and a bit there. I've taken a break now for 12 months and then going back to finish it off mm. in a year. Cause it's just, it's quite psychologically grueling. Mm. especially clown term which was in the autumn that's 10 weeks of clown term well that's when oh, you the, actually do the, the clown. That's right clown. right okay that's clown for 10 weeks and, you and just... for that did you have to choose a clown character and then you stick with that same it's not really no you don't it's not character so much clown is that's a great. lack okay. of character right you okay. have to find your clown it's sort of mm. it's what's what do people find funny about you you don't right. really get to choose what's funny when you do it mm. what's your most childlike and there's there's so much more of it than this and there's so much like little mm -hmm. Ito Basari who's from Spy Monkey I did a workshop with him he has this great little your clown is what people laugh at about you behind your back. Mm. So a clown sort of hurts a little. It's a little, um, but clown, the way it's taught, and this is generally the way it's taught. And Philippe, I don't know whether he originated it, but he certainly is kind of the fiercest exponent of it. He sits there with a drum mm. and effectively he'll hit it when you're not funny and he'll say you're boring. 
get off the <laughs> so stage. You, you can't do this. He's teaching like a clown. It's yeah. Not like an, that's yeah. <laughs> but you have to, and you sort of have to learn when to, the clown wants to stay on stage all the time. So you have to yeah. learn to want to fight to be on stage and to go, no, 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 I am funny. No, wait. wait okay. That didn't work, but I'm going to be good now. And you, you, uh, it's hard. It's yeah, really, yeah. it's so, and I've only really properly experienced stage fright for the first half of Clown Turn when I, I didn't, mm. I was terrified of going on stage in front of him. I was having anxiety dreams about him every night and really yeah. like over literal anxiety dreams <laughs> where I would be on stage performing a clown number, a clown improv, and he would be. Be, he would start pretending to go to sleep and then I'd look at my clown partner on stage and go, what's happening? <laughs> then I'd look back at the audience and the, all of the rest of the class were lying on actual mattresses. <laughs> um, wow, what, what an on-the-nose subconscious you have. Yeah, I know, I thought, God, does this mean my teeth are going to fall out in the real world or something? Um, yeah, and I really, I didn't want to be on stage. I didn't want to stay on stage once mm. I was up there. And then... Uh, and then I changed my costume. You, you have a costume. I think that's kind of the closest you come to character. It's a costume you're sort of proud of. He, right. the co he gives costumes and they're generally sort of archetypes of things. So it might mm -hmm. be a, a bank manager or you might be um, Tintin, somebody who's Tintin, or he loves giving Asterix characters. Uh, or, <laughs> that's so odd. It's, well, it's just, it's really not, like you see the thing go, oh, that's a burglar. Or you see right, it and go, right, right. ah, that's a... Um, I see. Okay. Uh, Russian Cossack. Or okay. When you said Asterix characters, I was thinking about the European comic. Yeah, yeah no, no. That, that is what he, but he'll say okay. like, you're a Roman soldier from Asterix. I see. Okay. So you're, okay. you, you know, a very, very, you see that and you go, that's a Roman soldier. I see. What was yours? I was, first off, I was a bank manager. Then I moved to, mm. he gave me Russian Cossack because I'm quite hairy. <laughs> I was terrible with that. It just didn't. Oh, it's, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then I saw, then he puts photos of me around there and there was a photo of me in that costume grinning. And I realized, wow, I have had pleasure on stage this last <laughs> month. I must have done something. But then he set this, on Fridays we perform and he did this particular auto, yeah, it's called autocore. And you come, you prepare a piece rather than just mm -hmm. improvisation, you do all through the week. And the piece for this Friday was you, um, all the bad clowns, you want to trick me into thinking you're not here, you, you come in disguise, you change your costume, you're someone else. Mm. So we got to choose our own costumes for that Friday. And I, um, a friend of mine suggested actually, uh, and I went, oh yeah, that's it. And then somebody else said, no, you should be a ballerina. And I went, no, I don't want to be a ballerina. And I thought, oh, maybe I should be a ballerina. But ultimately, <laughs> I, I was a devil at mm. the end, so I had a red balaclava <laughs> with uh, little plastic kind of horns, the red mm. nose, which you have as a clown. Uh, false teeth like mm. sharp false teeth uh, and then just red tights and a red cape so I was sort of topless with this red cape on and this little fork and um, yeah suddenly I was funny <laughs> I think it was disabling my voice was a large part of it you have to have an accent mm. that's clown and the this, oh you do? My, Interesting. In Philippe's clown you do right not, okay or you you have nothing right um, and is this all in French? no he teaches in English it's an oh, international okay. school so that's a bit nice. of a relief have you seen Baskets? No, I haven't. People okay. keep mentioning it, yeah, but yeah. I haven't, I haven't had a chance yet. Okay. Uh, I wonder if you would like it or I don't know. He's it. not at clown school for much, is he? No, he's not. And clowning is, is used as a metaphor for any sort of creative ah, I see. pursuit. Well, so it'd be interesting to watch it as an actual clown. Uh, so, yeah, disabling your voice is very useful, especially my voice, because it sounds too clever, because it's just quite monotone and quite kind of... <laughs> I'm I realise it in this show as well. I think my mm. next show, I'm just getting out of my own accent completely, because it's just a bit kind of soporific, a bit kind of audiobook. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I love you uh, being apologetic about uh, having such a nice voice. <laughs> it's just, it's one that you know, it's one would hire like, for an audiobook. Yeah, but it's not... Well, it's a voice I mean, that someone would want to listen to for hours. It's not, it's not in 
it's, there's no pleasure in the voice. Like you don't when you hear when I'm speaking this voice, I'm not having fun, and that's uh, so much about clown okay. is having fun with whatever you can have. Mm. So by putting these false teeth in, I just couldn't speak normally, and suddenly my mouth became so much more and, and it was all. And suddenly I found my clown, and then that night there were the terrorist attacks in Paris, and at oh, the bar man. after the show, I was kind of annoyed with so the terrorists really, for you're ruining the, my you're special the real night. Yeah. I'm the victim there. <laughs> And then I felt, then I felt guilty oh. for a week, and then I got back to the clown. <laughs> That's yeah, was, really interesting. But clown was tough. Clown was really tough. Some mm. people never really got it. I mean, I yeah. thought at one point, I'm not going to find this. So, how do you approach having gone to clown school? And you've kind of answered this a little bit, but how do you now approach writing shows? So, I write from. I, I, I try and do as much writing as I can on stage, mm. rather than. The big, th actually, and the, the kind of fundamental thing I mentioned, it was, I, I was a one-liner comic. I still sort of am. I like writing jokes. It's quite satisfying. But people genuinely, and this is part of this show, don't like jokes that much. You sort of remember yeah, jokes. They make you feel happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're not what you're laughing at during the show. You're laughing mm. at what's ha actually tangibly happening in this mm -hmm. room you're in. That's why straight stand-up. Yeah. yeah. Straight stand-up is best when it feels like it's genuinely a conversation. Mm. And as soon as there's anything in the room which makes you realise, oh, this is prepared, or this is, people start to fade out, stop laughing a bit. Mm -hmm. Like when people are chatting at the back of a show and the comedian doesn't deal with it, the laughter just starts to dim in the room because they're aware this is happening in this room, but you're meant to be in this room. You're not noticing this. You're not doing, mm -hmm. oh, you're not, obviously this is just a different thing. And they fade out. So jokes aren't very important. And that's what I learned. So I still write them because I like them mm -hmm. and I do them, but you have to kind of fly past them. They're thrown in. You don't hit them heavily. You don't present the joke as if it's the thing. The performance and the fun of the performance is everything. And that's, that's sort of it. And, and by writing on stage, a lot of the time you find the transitions between two ideas you had are far funnier than the actual thing. There's stuff in the show I'm doing now, which I can't actually pinpoint. Like I'm, I have a man on my lap. I'm playing a song my dad used to like and I'm shoving licorice all sorts in his mouth. Oh, yeah. And I, I can't really, it's not, uh, there's not really a joke in it necessarily. I mean, it's obviously, mm -hmm. it's kind of a boulderization of what my father was like, mm -hmm. uh, kind of pushing this praise reward and then suddenly being attacked mm -hmm. for something. But it's hard to pinpoint why it's funny, but it, it, yeah. it's funny. It gets laughs. It works. There's this uncomfortableness and it's clowning, which sort of has given me the freedom to go on stage and say, let's see, I don't know what's funny and we can find yeah. out and we can only find out together. Yeah. Your show is like a live museum of curiosities in that way. Like you yes, don't, you don't, you don't know beast, why, you don't know why the, um, taxidermied mouse dressed up like Sherlock Holmes <laughs> is b more delightful than, you know, whatever else, but it's, it's the cobra it's, in the hat. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, well, on the cobra in the hat, I think I, I think I like better. Ah, uh, yeah. I yeah, but I don't know. I don't know why. I guess because the cobra moves around more and it'd be harder to keep a hat on your head, whereas a mouse, yeah, I could imagine a mouse says... If a mouse could like choose, Holmes. it would choose that. Yeah. So when you... You said that when you... Back to your first show that you did when you were um, about your breakup, mm. that you were doing that show while you started seeing someone else. Yeah. How did that... What was the, the dynamic there? It was just a bit... It was... And your girlfriend now is a performer, right? Yeah, which is another that, that I also broke up with that woman from who I was oh. seeing during that. Oh, show, I see. Okay, which sorry. I mentioned in this current show. Right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, 
Let me just remind you of all of your relationships that you've had of late. <laughs> she was lovely. She was a wonderful woman. Um, and so is my girlfriend now. Um, but it didn't work out. <laughs> but it was, I remember doing that show talking about this other breakup and she was, and I feel quite guilty about kind of putting her through it because this was a show and mm-hmm. she was like jokingly annoyed, but I could tell actually a little upset by the fact that she didn't feature in the narrative of the show at all. Right. Because yeah. she couldn't. What I've done before is, I've drawn a connection between that new relationship and the failure of the old relationship. Like, well, now I'm solved. Yeah. Which is just so boring and bad. But I used to do that all the time, I think, to serve my last relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So good for you for not doing that. I I realized I couldn't because it's not about, obviously the audience knows they're being lied to and like the actor being lied to. But if Mm -hmm. within the show itself, you undercut the point of the show. Yeah. Then, which is what I would have been doing. It was all about being in a mess, and it was all about, yeah, the the not knowing who I was after leaving a you know nearly decade long relationship mm-hmm. and being with somebody all the time to just being alone. Yeah, it just wouldn't have wouldn't have made sense to 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 add in a coda of. Hey, but although I've been faking a breakdown for the last forty minutes, I'm fine, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if this is this is just some sort of magic coincidence, but you are the sixth man this week I've met in London, and I've only been here for a week, who has who was in a nine year relationship starting when they were nineteen. Really? And then it ended around the same time. Oh wow. I've yeah, literally every met, yeah. I feel like I've been married. Yeah, well just effectively yeah. I sort of <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, is that is that a is that common practice to start be in I don't think so. I, the people I know who have been in relationships for that long, I think, are still in the are married are, are with mm. it. Like rather than li- breaking up. For me, though, it was well, there was a sort of I, I'd resigned myself to it. I, I thought, mm. well, I can cope oh, with this. That's so romantic. This is all you know, exactly. <laughs> thought, oh, this is fine. This is this is this is how it goes. Yeah. Then she broke up with me, and it was, uh, and that was great because I'm. I meant. I mean, I was just wet for a night, but it meant that I could really kind of indulge in the melancholy of the yeah, thing. Yeah, that's very. It's so lucky. And get all the sympathy <laughs> from people and all that, uh. and also like just not spend any time with her, not have to give her any time in her mm. mourning the relationship, which. I don't think I could have done otherwise, but she certainly was upset by. Yeah. But, um, hey. Do you guys talk now? Yeah, we get on reasonable. I mean, we're, mm-hmm. she lives in America most of the time, so. All right. Uh, it's all, it's a bit awkward, but mm-hmm. not that. I mean, we get on quite well. Again, you can't spend that much time with someone without them always kind of being there in the back of your, <laughs> like she's a constant presence in a way. Mm. But yeah, we get on okay. Do you talk about with her with your current girlfriend ever? Do I talk about her with my current girlfriend? Do, do, I, do I talk to sorry? Do, do I you, talk to my current girlfriend about her? Uh, yeah, which I guess is not actually my question. You were in that relationship for so long, yeah. And I'm just projecting myself into the scenario, imagining being your new girlfriend and uh, how yeah. like like obviously intimidating that is, but more so that you've been so shaped. We don't not talk about it. Mm. I mean, I think I'm probably in the most honest relationship I've been in in terms of just sharing. Mm -hmm. They don't don't really keep anything from each other, which is... And her parents came and saw your show. (laughs) They saw the show. (laughs) It's quite funny, actually. Um, uh, Yeah, her parents came. She is 
we've been going out for six months now. I've I've stayed with her family. Very nice family. Mm-hmm. Very good to me. Um, her, she is writing a show about her mother, and her mum knows mm. she's writing a show about her mother. Mm. And from the look on her mum's face <laughs> after the show, that is a very funny lyric. <laughs> I could I could tell that she was slightly uh-huh. panicked about my influence. <laughs> Oh God, I I don't want to out myself as a total creep, but I was very much looking at your girlfriend's parents Mm. right after the show. Mm. And uh, yeah, her her mom was very like adorably, nervously laughing. Mm -hmm. I think her dad found it very funny. That's good. But uh, yeah, I think her mom was... (laughs) What did they say to you after the show? They're very complimentary and very polite. It's tricky. I mean, what would you do in that situation? You go yeah, to see your, your kind of quasi-patricidal show done by your, mm, your da- daughter's <laughs> new boyfriend. I think it's a, a, a difficult watch. Probably more difficult than for my mum. Mm. Yeah. And your mum's... Also, they, of course, they, oh. they've now... My, my girlfriend's uh, parents have now basically seen me naked. Yes. Which yeah. I don't... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they don't want to go through that. I don't want to go through that. <laughs> Were you thinking about them when you were doing that on Tuesday? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think about anything when I'm doing that bit. I've realised, mm. like I'm quite. I, when I did it in Edinburgh, and this is just this is just whiny, whiny, whiny. When I did it in Edinburgh, <laughs> I was about seven or eight pounds lighter, and so in the run up to this show, I've been really kind of body conscious <laughs> and kind of oh. Yeah. But then when you're on stage, actually doing it, it's just oh, fine. This is fine. Oh, yeah. this is fine. This is yeah. just yeah. No, no, no damn, done. <laughs> I want to figure out. I, it's 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 genuinely been a, an aspiration of mine to be naked on stage, but I want to figure out how to do it in like a funny way. Yeah, it, because it's it's harder. It's harder as a woman. Maybe yes, if I just taped on a third boob. Watch um, Spy Monkey, uh, okay. the clown troupe. They have it's one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen. There is a YouTube video online. Um, Spy Monkey, but I think they do it. I think it's quicker online. I think it because they were doing it in that kind of in the Melbourne comedy. Um, gala mm. it is so funny it's in their live show Cooped which is um, yeah it's a kind of parody of a murder mystery or a gothic horror okay. in, a, in a all in this house but there's one scene where they do a nude it's so so funny it just builds one of the men goes on stage to do his interpretive dance mm-hmm. and he's wearing he's singing a song and doing this very floaty dance while wearing a nude suit so he's just mm-hmm. a bobby stocking with a fig leaf <laughs> stuck over his penis Mm -hmm. and then uh, the other two guys walk on look at him look at each other excitedly and go he's naked (laughs) and then they run off and they get it wrong and they run on actually naked with fig leaves on bits of string tied around their waists which keep shifting so not covering their and then they do a dance with each other too and then they start it's so stupid they just (laughs) they start swinging each other round and picking each other up mm. legs wide apart swung straight out of the audience so it's just so but then <laughs> it ends the number with the you're wom- terrible at holding a mic <laughs> I'm sorry I'm really sorry I'm getting too excited no, this, if you if you give me a mic stand this wouldn't have been a problem uh, <laughs> <laughs> I also love how you hold the mic like it's a bouquet of flowers no, anyway you. go on so and like I'm Morrissey <laughs> just, <laughs> right. um, and yeah but end, that ends with Petra the, 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 the female member of the group coming on excitedly getting naked and mm. then 
panicking. She they, she plays it like a streaker and mm. said she keeps trying to get off the stage and they keep blocking her and she's just <laughs> looking for her pants. And then I think a moment later, her pants are at the centre of the stage and she just, uh, her underpants. Sorry. Right, yeah. Uh, that was being very British. And so, she enters from the back of the stage and just very high status walks down the stage <laughs> and picks them up, looks at the audience and leaves. And it's hilarious. And yeah. they, So they top the number with the female nudity. Mm. But I, I agree, it's, it's yeah. very male nudity you can play for last very easily, yeah. but I mean, people don't often are so do it funny. Yeah, they are, it's like it's a funny little thing to find in the middle yeah. of that mass. Because well, it looks it? like a nose of the beard. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm. The, the second nose, <laughs> they call him. Uh, let me just check this to make sure. This has been uh, very informative. Oh, I think Ward did something with female nudity too. I didn't see mm. the show. I only heard about it. I saw her next show. It was very funny. Yeah. She just got one boob out. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. I have, I have a, I have a story where I. When have I, was, I imagined that? Because if nobody boob. has told me that story about Felicity Ward, that is a weird thing to say. <laughs> well, if if that's not a real thing, I wonder if you've just just soaked that up for my energy because that is. The, I have a I have a story where I was doing when I was nineteen I did I my one time doing any sort of modeling this guy was taking pictures of my face and I was wearing a um a uh, what's the word a halter top okay because like it, a boob tube yeah a boob tube because he was taking pictures making it look like I didn't have any oh, right. yeah, yeah shirt. The shoulders and yeah them. and he we took all these pictures and he's like great great uh, do you want to just uh, like gesturing to pull down the boob tube and I was like, well, no, 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 no. He said, oh no, it's fine. I'm very professional. <laughs> just, just so you just want to pull down, pull down your top. And I said, uh, no, no, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think I'm comfortable with that. Okay. Uh, just one. <laughs> I was like, huh. Wow. Uh, that's, that's what I'll look back on and great about. Just like, one. Just one it's, is. It's almost more naked. Than yeah. Well, two. and also you can extrapolate from one what the others like. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's very flattering. Men are, men are absolutely two different sizes. Oh, okay. Um, not in a not in a crazy way. I mean, I don't I don't want to force you to look at my chest, but obviously they they look symmetrical. I think it's just in my head. Okay, <laughs> that's a great way to end the show. Is that uh, the last? I always do that. I would I leave always... it on that really awkward. <laughs> If I was you editing that, that's where I'd stop. Yeah, yeah. And thank you for being on the show. <laughs> and here are my breasts. Thank you. Oh, wow. Yeah, they <laughs> yeah, are. Wow. They're, same. they're the same. I'm wearing a sports bra. All right. All right. That was our show with Mr. John Luke Roberts. You can find him on Twitter uh, at JLukeRoberts. All right, Potty, it's time to announce the winner of the uh, listener naming contest. Cool. Very exciting. Uh, last week, I asked you guys to tweet at me suggestions for what to call the listeners, and I received a huge response, which was really fun and exciting, and I, there, it was great. It was wonderful. Um, but one name stuck out to me, uh, and not just because it was suggested several times, <laughs> but also just because I love it. Uh, we're going to call... You ready? Should we do like a drum roll? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, apparently not. <laughs> uh, it's late. It's late. Um, the <laughs> We're going to do a tired cat purr. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and the listeners shall uh, shall hence be called McFeelies. <laughs> and because this was suggested uh, several times, the winner of the contest is going to be the person who suggested it first, and that is at JD Kite 
or Jaden Lee. So there you are. And uh, Jaden Lee, or at Jaden Kite, you are going to be receiving a special present, including some Irish candy. Well done. Yeah. Well done you. And I'm going to make you a little, I'm going to make you some, uh, I'm going to make you a craft and I'm going to put some candy in a box and it's going to be great. So congratulations. Also, uh, we received some mail in the mailbox today, which was very exciting. And I'm looking forward to uh, writing those people back. If you would like to send me a letter or a postcard or anything at all, send that to 2658 Griffith Park Boulevard, number 840, Los Angeles, California, 90039. Tour dates will be announced very soon. If you would like to email me, send an email to thisfeelsterrible at gmail.com. If you would like me to answer an advice question over the uh, on the podcast, please make your subject a terrible advice. Anything else? Um, Do you have any Irish sayings to sign off with? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, oh, Tularula. Tularula. Bottom of the mornings, yeah. <laughs> but okay. All right, McFeelys, have a great week. Uh, McGath Attack. Feral Audio. Pros. Lowe's wants to help you keep working. That's why we're open for pro business hours 6 to 7 a.m. Monday through Saturday. You'll find the quantities you expect with dedicated pro associates and loaders to help you get what you need fast and load you up curbside. Now, more than ever, we know you need to win every single bid. You can count on Lowe's for special values on pro-trusted brands and savings when you buy in bulk. Save yourself a trip by shopping Lowe'sforpros.com, where we can ship thousands of items to your doorstep or to the job site. Lowe's is open and pro-ready.